This is a For The Now Media production. Hello, my name is Tony Grundy. Welcome again to Grundy's Grumbles. We're continuing to look at my career in commercial radio. This episode is episode 21. I always say that with a bit of surprise on my voice, but it is episode 21. It's entitled Opportunity Knocks. During the last episode, I described the difficulties I faced at Reading 107 before finally leaving in April stroke May 2006. That said, in absolutely no time at all, I was asked to become project director of an Oxford licensed bid. It was called Castle FM, our bid. Moving so quickly from 107 to giving my time and attention to work in Oxford, I think was a good therapy. Now, as I told you last time, we didn't win that license. But very quickly, I was putting my energies into a different kind of business opportunity. In fact, just before I left 107, I had made a contact at a local trade exhibition in Reading in an in, with an interesting new business opportunity. I had, as part of my support to the sales team, attended an event at Rivermead Leisure Centre. I went with one of the sales team. I think it was Rebecca Randall. And as usual at these kind of events, you get round as many of the stallholders as possible and establish whether they could be followed up as advertising leads, to be honest. I spoke uh, to one of the stallholders, very pleasant. I would describe her as a sort of Miss Marple's type of lady. The stall talked about forever living, never heard of them, but they're a very big, long established company that produced aloe vera based products. Because of my interest in fitness and sport, I asked quite a few questions. And I was impressed with the history of the company <clears throat> because of all the happenings at 107, although we did exchange cards at that time, I put the follow up on hold. Once I'd left 107, I thought, now's the time to learn more. Bab Seymour was the Miss Marples type person I mentioned, and she was based in Kent. We agreed a more local meet. I think it was a business presentation at Basingstoke. Certainly, that was one of the places I met her. Essentially, Forever was a multi-level marketing company. And you can achieve uncapped income via product sales and recruiting a team of people doing the same thing. I saw it as an opportunity to learn a new business model. And because they offered necessary training, I took the opportunity to become an independent distributor with them. And I've never regretted that. I still use some of their natural products and they are top, top quality, the people and the products. That said, the team building side is much more complicated and time consuming. I went with them, nevertheless, on various times to global rallies in Vienna and Budapest. So came with me and indeed in London at the global rally there in 2010, a memorable occasion. I really, I really enjoyed my time. And I do to this day keep an eye on the company's development. And they're doing very, very well in this downturn. Eventually, I decided it was better for me to use my energies elsewhere. And the where family matters at that time, more of that later. But I learned masses and it helped me understand a whole new industry, at least to me, a whole new industry. And I think it never does any harm to stretch your head with something brand new. Anyway, back to the plot. After Oxford, I started to develop the media training company idea that I talked about. I called it Media Literate, which I think was a good name. And I described last time how I started to recruit like-minded people with complementary skill sets. Gordon Hunter became involved because he produced radio ads. And I think that would be very useful. Andy Jones, who was still at Reading 107 then, 
but particularly for his news and TV production skills. A friend of mine was a market specialist, Jeff Ward. Then I really wanted a top TV and radio presenter. Guess where I looked? Well, all this time after ending up in hospital, as we talked about in the Royal Barks and being very ill, Tim actually did stop drinking for a short time in his efforts to rehabilitate himself. I spoke to him and could see some of the old Tim coming back. So I guess, being his brother, I thought maybe, maybe he could become involved in media literate. Tim did attend the early exploratory meetings, and we had a good laugh, pooling our thoughts and ideas together. Now, there's no doubt that Tim had all the skills needed, but it was a case of whether he could pull it all together and sustain it. During that time, we even played a round of golf together. It was very pleasant. It was a lovely summer's day with a mate of his. And I was thinking as we ran round, maybe he could turn the corner. Then after the game, we went for a drink and Tim ordered a pint of shandy for himself and drinks for me and his friend. I was quite shocked because I knew any alcohol, if you're an alcoholic, is too much. I kind of knew then he was going to go back to drink. And as far as media literate was concerned, it all came to a head not long after that, because we as a group had agreed initially not to take any income from media literate efforts until we got established. Tim started to insist, I guess because he hadn't got money, that he needed money and he wanted payment. And I could see which way this was all going. So I told the others what he was saying to me. And cutting a long story short, I recommended that we suggested there was a parting of the ways. So it was yet another painful story between the two of us, particularly painful because so many years we had been so close. This was later in 2007 and 2008. Yeah, it was later in 2007. By 2008, he and his wife, Fiona, went back up north to live with uh, Fiona's mum in Manchester. Good luck to her with that one, I thought. More of all of that later. There were other radio opportunities. Firstly, one or two community radio licences were starting to be advertised. Do you remember all those episodes ago when I was putting the full-time licence for Newbury together? Well, <laughs> to be honest, whether you do or you don't, it was during that time I met a young 15-year-old radio wannabe, Matt Cadman. I'm sure he won't mind me calling him that. I liked his drive and ambition, and he made a point of keeping in touch with me. He was a Reading lad, and he had good knowledge of the industry. And he made contact with me again and said there was to be a community radio license advertised soon in Reading. And he said, did I want to get involved when it was advertised? Just to explain, these are small-scale licenses, and they're on a not-for-profit basis. So very different from the concept I'd known before. So there was some learning for me to do. The history was, so far, with community radio stations, they were run by radio enthusiasts with no particular business experience. And they mainly, to be honest, had failed. Because, and I think this was a, a common thing, most of the people didn't take into account because of that lack of business experience. You need to bring in as much as you spend. I know that's very basic, but they didn't seem to get it. Now, in Watford, Matt definitely did. Anyway, I suppose the idea of winning a third license in the same town appealed to my vanity, if I'm perfectly honest. So with my contact, Jeff Ward, we firstly, and, and obviously Matt Cadman, we did a trial broadcast under the name Vibe with a station aimed musically at a younger market, because there wasn't one of those, apart from Radio 1. These trial broadcast RSLs last for a maximum of 28 days, long enough to gauge reaction, and obviously include the results in your application, should that come along. 
Matt was leading the way on this. This was very early 2009. But before we could take it much further, there was another massive family upset. Unfortunately, after Tim went to live up north again, he got worse with his drinking. His mother-in-law said they had to leave her house because of their, I think, outrageous behaviour. Very, very selfish. And they ended up at our mum's house with virtually nothing. A suitcase and nothing else. No car, nothing. No jobs. Tim ended up in late 2008 back in hospital in Stockport. I visited him and I said to him, trying to be helpful, Tim, I will never drink alcohol again if you don't. In fact, I've never drunk alcohol again from that time onwards, including, as my daughter will tell you, at her wedding two years ago. Anyway, on February the 1st, 2009, when I was about to go to Southampton to meet with Fran and Sue to celebrate Sue's birthday, I got a call from my sister Dory to say Tim was very ill in hospital again. I changed plans quickly and I packed a bag. Before I literally got to the car to set off, I got another call from my sister. Tim had died. He was 50 years old. He was dead. I even find that difficult to say now. Not a good time for my for my family and for many of his friends in radio. I did drive up to Manchester that day to be with the family. We were all in total shock, but in a way, ironically, we'd be kind of sort of rehearsing for this moment for quite some time, just as we had with many years before with dad, with his drinking problems. I haven't really mentioned his wife Fiona much before because as a family, we felt she played a major part in Tim's demise. She was a heavy and persistent drinker and used to get annoyed when Tim tried to stop. I will not go into full details here because that's not for this podcast, but to attend the funeral of my youngest brother, such a talented and funny guy, was an absolute tragedy. Many of the people from his radio past attended that ceremony, as you can imagine. It was very emotional. After Tim's death and funeral, in a state of shock, I had to get back to the Reading Community Licence with deadlines coming up. I was confident we could win it, but it wasn't to be. And the award actually went to an Asian-based bid. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But in fact, I, as I understand it, they never actually went on air. What a waste of an opportunity. But as ever, you have to move on. Matt Cadman by now lived in Watford and had actually put together already three short-term licences for Vibe FM with the prospect of a community licence in the area to come. After Reading, Matt said he believed Watford would be advertised soon. And he was quite right. So we teamed up again and did another short-term licence before it was advertised under the name Fresh FM. I'm not sure Matt was too keen on the change of name, but anyway... Fresh FM. But it was very different up in Watford. Matt really did have his finger on the Watford pulse. He knew everybody who was anybody. And his previous three short-term licences under the Vibe name had been very well supported. The Mayor, Dorothy Thornhill, had been a long-term supporter of Matt. Matt, by then, had a colleague, Gavin Harris, to work with him alongside my mate, Jeff Ward, on the application. Matt wanted me to be the launch chairman to give it the sort of credibility bit with my experience and pull together, pull the bid together, really, with my marketing and sales knowledge. It all seemed to go like clockwork and we got a lot of written support. During that time, though, in November 2009, Sue's dad, Alan, died after a fall which broke his hip. Now, many years before, 
Alan had had a bad stroke, which paralyzed him down one side. So in 2007, Sue and I had got him his own house nearby where Sue worked at the doctor's surgery. He was moving from Manchester, so it was a big event. But he'd done very well over the two years, 2007 to 2009. And it really had given him a new lease of life, I'm pleased to say. His wife, Emily, had died in 2004 from Parkinson's. So he couldn't have gone on living on his own. Sadly, as I said, he had a fall and broke his hip. He had the operation successfully. We're very pleased with him. But on the morning I was on my way to see him to visit John Radcliffe in Oxford, he was literally laughing with the nurses, typical Alan, and he had a heart attack and he died. And I couldn't get there in time to see him. And on that particular day, I was going to see Alan. I'd booked later in the afternoon to see the people running Newbury Sound as a possible client. And whilst I knew the sales director, David Blake, as a former, a former client of mine with the training company, the MD, Ian Axton, was new to me. So it was quite an important meeting. I had to ring them to tell them what had happened. They were very understanding, of course. So another bad day in our household, I'm sorry to say, and all the obvious funeral arrangements to be made. So after that upheaval, then it was back up the M25 to Watford, the joys of that short stretch of motorway on the M25. Not. Anyway, after the short-term license in 2010, it was advertised. Guess what, what, folks? Some good news. We won it. I am, as many people know me, a very competitive person. So winning the license was, let's just say, pleasing. Also, though, it just shows how the radio family works. There was Matt Cadman, who was a 15-year-old all those years ago when I was putting the license bid together for Kick FM in Newbury, was here asking me to become the chairman of the community radio license bid. Interestingly, the engineers used to set up for his transmitter were transplant with Ian Hickling and Phil Furnival, who I'd used for both the Kick FM launch and Reading 107. Small world, eh? Radio is a close-knit family, and you keep your friends and contacts. At long last, some good news. And again, I enjoyed the responsibility of helping the station to launch and did some training with the potential sales team. And we met with potential advertisers and influencers. It was kind of good to get my hands dirty again, helping Matt put together his dream of winning a license in what had become a local community of Watford. That took me to 2011 and the launch and beyond. I always did say I would stay unpaid till the launch. So it was slightly beyond that. And I really like Matt. And to this day, he's a good friend. As I think I told you before, I actually, a year or so ago, went to his wedding. But I didn't want to overstay my welcome, and clearly I couldn't claim to be local. Some of the local people on the board had different ideas to me on how the station should be run going forward. So I felt that was a good time to sign off. Anyway, suffice to say, Vibe, it was fresh FM at the launch, is operating successfully, even to this day, with different people on the board, but I was proud to be involved from a personal point of view. I would, in 2011, add therefore a new gong to my radio list, a community license win. I thank you all, as my brother used to say, and a bow. Now, here's an interesting thing. How do you think Reading 107 have been going on from 2006 when I left to 2012? Well, I'll let you into a secret, not very well. I may have mentioned that in a fit of pique when I talked about leaving in 2006. They had, between 2006 and 2012, six actual or acting MDs following me. I had, from a distance, kept track 
of their progress or lack of it. Sound really bitchy, don't I? But it's true. Occasionally, in my intermittent meeting with John Modeski for a coffee, the subject had come up. He clearly wasn't impressed with the fact he was now losing money on a monthly basis. Anyway, one day in early 2012, I got a call from Mark Watson, the program controller, and Gavin Harris, his number two, who'd been involved with Vibe Watford, same guy. They said, could we meet up, talk about the station? It's struggling, they said, and we want you to help. Now, I knew that these two guys had changed the music policy of the station. I couldn't listen to it any longer without real discussion or permissions. The result was that the audience had gone down and down and the revenue with it. We, we did meet up. I got them to explain their story, their side of the story. They blamed sales. They said they're, they're not bringing enough revenue. I listened to what they said, and then I asked them, on what basis, what research, had they changed the musical policy, challenging Radio 1? Basically, very little science, more gut feel, very dangerous in my opinion. And to be honest, the, the reach of the station had gone down to 10%, I think and very low hours of listening. A recipe for disaster in sales terms. I said to them, okay, if John Badeski rings and says he wants me to help, I will be happy to listen. Now, here's the thing. Did John Badeski ring me? You're just going to have to wait till next week. I'll leave you on another cliffhanger. Sorry, but to be honest, it's too good a story to tell you quickly. If you've got any stories about this time or comments you want to make, Listen out for the contact details at the end of this GG podcast. See you next week at a time and a place to suit you. Grundy's Grumbles with Tony Grundy is a For The Now media production. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or have any radio stories of your own, email tony at forthenow.co.uk.